0: Welcome to The Kickin' the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is Episode 16. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. For my Canadian listeners, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Given the way things are these days, I imagine that some folks had to celebrate the holiday alone. That was my situation, but I managed to make do. Anyway, today I have Chapter 15 of Outcast for you. As always, if you're listening to this on the original Outcast podcast feed, I encourage you to subscribe to this new show at podshare.com or at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So here we go with Chapter 15 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzston Chapter 15 My, My quest, quest is for, for family. family The next morning started early, so much so that the air was cold and still moist with dew. Save for the sound of a nearby stream babbling away, the air was completely quiet. Each breath felt invigorating to me, waking me up in a way I hadn't felt since before my exile. My My quest quest is is for for family. family. Away from Kerala City's urban distractions, my mind felt like it was opening, ready to absorb all Krasa had to teach me. Perhaps it was the smile from the night before but his normal aura of intimidation seemed lesser. He still wasn't overly sociable, but there was something different in his voice. It seemed that after our conversation the night before, he was taking more interest in my training, as though before I was just another faceless hopeful. My My quest quest is for for family. family. Last night's revelation about what my true quest was for remained foremost in my mind as Crosso ran me through the usual drills of forms and strikes. It kept me focused. Each success meant I was one step closer to achieving my goal. Every time I misstepped or messed up, I reminded myself that if I corrected, it would mean one more obstacle cleared. Despite my still abysmal record in the sparring matches, I didn't let it get me down. Granted, I chastised myself for messing up, but instead of letting that feeling rest in my mind, I merely reset myself, dropped into a stance, and nodded to continue. These setbacks were temporary. Even the greatest fighters in history began by taking more than their fair share of hits. The important thing was to learn from those mistakes and use that wisdom moving forward. My family was worth the bruises. They were worth the setbacks, because at the end of it all, I would make it. I would stand before them, Kalpak in hand and honor restored. During the calmer points of the day, when I wasn't getting the tar beaten out of me, I ended up thinking about that declaration. What I'd said the night before was true, about what I missed most because of my exile, but to reunite with my family also meant being thrust back into the world of the clans. You are no longer my son. Father's last words to me. His words had been cold, or maybe that was how I remembered them. There had been no emotion there, as if I were nothing to him. Come to think of it, there had been no emotion from any of them. What little I knew of the rites of exile never said anything about that. Surely there should have been tears. I remember Mikio having the amazing ability to cry at the drop of a hat, yet I didn't recall hearing anything from her. Even Mother, who'd been there when I woke up. Had her tears all been a fake? Were all the smiles and encouragement just there to lure me in? If that was the case, what was I going back to? If they disposed of me so easily, like garbage then was it even worth it to go back? The night I buried the Temeki kittens, I swore I would smash the Kalpak should I ever see it again. I know I made that pledge in a fit of anger, but perhaps it was fitting. Perhaps that was what the clans deserved for what they did to me. After all, if their oh-so-wonderful society would treat an innocent like me in such a way, then were they truly worthy of their status. Was this why so many exiles just gave up on redemption? Was this the great truth of being an exile? Maybe they'd been right. Maybe I was the fool for thinking that returning to that cesspool of social debauchery was a worthy goal. Maybe I should just give it up, learn this art, and melt away into the masses. Maybe I could get get back back part of that that spark that that you still still have have in you. you, To Ki. She wanted the same thing I did, didn't she? She'd given up on returning until she met me. She said I could give her hope or the determination to keep trying. Were our stories so unique then? Perhaps many of those people in the warehouse were there for a different reason. I didn't know. I never had the opportunity or desire to know. But now, I wondered if it might help. Were all exiles there because of some petty reason? Or were there some who truly deserved it? Those stories, I believed, would influence my decision concerning my own return. It was difficult to focus on my training during that second day. The night before I had trouble sleeping for two reasons. The first was the sheer amount of questions running through my head about my exile. I was craving the knowledge from other exiles to see just what the clans truly were. With more information, I could draw a clearer picture, and I could determine if my quest should indeed be for family, or perhaps something else. The second, and more obvious, reason was the absence of someone beside me. I was going to miss Tiki if she decided to leave. I was missing her that night. Her mere presence made me feel complete in a way I never was before. We'd only known each other for a short time, and things had moved at light speed, but it still felt right. Perhaps we were both just reaching for someone to hold on to. We were both adrift in this sea of chaos that was the life of an exile. In such a place, even the smallest gesture can anchor you and give you a measure of hope. She was my rock, and when I returned from this retreat, I wasn't sure if she'd be there. It would sting but it would be what I deserved for keeping the secret for as long as I did. Had I told her outright, maybe she would have stayed just to cure herself, after which she would leave. That had been the original plan, but unfortunately, I just had to fall in love with her. I felt so selfish, not telling her until the last minute just to squeeze every drop of affection I could from it. Damn it. She deserved to know the truth from the start fear and shock be damned. Alas, it was too late to do anything about it now. If my thoughts impaired my performance, Krasa said nothing. I still felt that I was making progress, but I didn't bask in it like I had that first day. I just couldn't for the life of me put any real emotion into it. It felt clinical. I was going through the motions, improving where I could but it felt like my body was moving as a reaction to commands. My mind felt disjointed from it all. That evening, Krasa and I sat before the fire, each of us eating a dinner of toaro strips and vegetables, all simmered in sauce and served with rice. After eating cat meals and takeout for so many days, I savored the flavor of this dinner, simple as it was. You seem troubled, he said. Last night you ate much more quickly. Hm. I looked down on my bowl and realized I'd barely eaten a thing. I took a few mouthfuls without saying anything, washing it all down with some water. Just have a lot on my mind, I guess. Such as? I sighed. I've just been thinking about the first night, I said. When I said my quest was for family, I took another mouthful of food. I was thinking of the night I was the night it happened. I started thinking about how they would react when I regained my honor. Father, he was so cold. They all were. It was like I was already dead to them. Is it worth it for me to go back, or should I just drop the whole thing? You would abandon your training. No, not that, I said. I still want to learn, but if I'm just rejoining the clans— Am I not just going back to the same world from which I was cast out? Yes, you are, he said. You believe that by returning that things will change, do you? I nodded. That you will return in triumph and a society that has existed for thousands of years will all bow to you, and from there you can restructure the entire order? No, I replied. I just, I wonder if they even want me back. I mean, they got rid of me so easily, would they even acknowledge what I'd gone through just to come home? I mean, father, a wise man once said, don't find fault with the clansmen, find it with the clans. I looked up at him. Tell me, what do you know of the old gods? My ears perked up at this. Not much, I admitted. I know that after the Ascension Wars, everyone started worshipping the patrons. Do you know why? Because, according to the patrons, we were no longer worthy of the gods. At least, that's what the priests taught us. The patrons were the heroes of the Ascension Wars, which emancipated the clans from their warlords, effectively ending the near-eternal wars between them all. It was said that after the last battle was won, those heroes all ascended to the heavens to serve as the Bengalans' emissaries to the gods who decided we were too corrupt to worship them directly. Indeed, Krasa said. Do you know the old god Kathaan? I shook my head slowly. He was the god of sacrifice. I cocked my head. I wasn't sure where he was going with this. Kathaan decreed that families were to have at least three children, and one of them would be his. I gasped. Yes, Dallin. One child out of the family was led to his altar and sacrificed. In return, the gods blessed that family. That child was never loved, Dallin. He or she was marked from birth to die at the appropriate time. Sure, they were fed and clothed like the others. But there was no love there, no joy in their lives. But Krasa held up his hand. In the time of the warlords, many clans continued the practices of Katha'an. Though not as brutal, at least one child from a mating pair was marked and subsequently taken by the warlord directly. Whatever the purpose, the family would never see that child again. Once more, that child was marked from birth, and as in the ancient times, was not loved. No attachment meant the clan would prosper without feeling the loss of one of their own. What does that have to do with me? I asked harshly. My family never did anything like that to me. I wasn't marked from birth for this. And yet, Crass countered, you were sacrificed for the good of the clan. In the end, they treated you as though you were marked from birth. You were already dead to them, Dallin. Who knows how long they knew. They had a year to prepare themselves for this while you were comatose. Plenty of time to steel themselves for the inevitable. Then why exile me? I asked. I stared down at my half-eaten meal. I was beginning to lose my appetite. That, I cannot say, he said. Perhaps your father could not bring himself to do what a priest of Katha'an would. Or, perhaps he did so as an even greater gesture before the clans. Regardless, he did what he had to do for the clan to survive. Survive? You have already witnessed the lengths to which the clans will go through to serve protocol. Imagine if your family had gone against the council and not punished you. Imagine then what your life would have been like, and how many of your so-called friends would still be willing to associate with you. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He was defending what my family had done to me. For a heartbeat, I considered finishing this little retreat and then never seeing him again. How could he say such a thing? How could he even suggest that they would do such a thing? It made no sense, didn't it? Life is often unfair, he said after a time. Sometimes, choices need to be made that hurt the few but preserve the many. I finally put down my bowl. My hands started to shake and try as I might, I couldn't stop them. Two weeks of distraction. Two weeks of being there for everyone else. Two weeks of trying to put my life back together. It all finally caught up with me. Despite all the good that had happened to me, all of it seemed worthless now. The tears came quick and relentless. The sobs started quietly enough, and I did my best to keep them inside. I wouldn't want to show weakness in front of my teacher. I'd done more than enough to prove to him I wasn't worthy of his time or training. I wouldn't drive the point home any further. I wiped my eyes to stop the tears, but it was useless. I buried my muzzle in my hands and continued to cry. I didn't want to break down like this in front of him, but I couldn't help myself. Feed on it. I barely heard his words through my ringing ears. The past two weeks, no, the past year, now came crashing down in my mind, flooding it with white noise. It felt as though a million voices were all talking to me at once, threatening to drown my sanity in their insistent voices. My hands began to shake more violently, and I moved them away from my muzzle. Feed on it. I clenched my fists, letting my budding claws extend. Sadly, they were still too short and dull for me to jab into my leg to help me focus. In that moment, I needed clarity. I needed some way to deal with the voices and the endless demands screaming in my mind. Feed on it. My stomach churned and nodded. My insides felt as though they would explode. My heart started beating faster. My mind felt like it was turning in on itself devouring itself to escape the onslaught any way it could. Something deep inside me seemed to be gathering strength, a growing tension of some sort. It was like an insane kind of elation that felt joyous, terrible, and perverse all at the same time. It simultaneously made perfect sense to me, and made no sense at all. I smiled despite my tears, wondering if I was truly going mad. Eat on it. I craned my neck to the heavens and roared for all I was worth. It was a half-roar, half-scream that burned my throat like fire. In my mind's eye, I could see myself spewing fire out of my mouth. Or was it spirits? I fully expected the gods to answer back with thunder and wind each time I cried out. Of course, they were silent. Why wouldn't they be? I was just some cub cut loose from the pack as an offering to the fates. I was a sacrifice in the name of protocol and ritual. Why would anyone bother with someone like me? When my throat was too hoarse to continue, I collapsed on the ground, still whimpering softly. I felt completely drained of everything. The despair was gone, but gone also was the hope I'd had before. All those thoughts of somehow regaining my honor and returning to my family were gone. It was as if with those screams of agony not only had I exercised my demons, they took with them everything else I had. I was empty now, a mere shell of a person. Krasa helped me to my feet, and I numbly moved towards the cabin where my bed lay. He spoke not a word to me as he helped lay me down. He did offer my shoulder one quick squeeze before he too retired for the night, but he said nothing. Perhaps it was for the best that he remained silent. At that point in my life, I needed a lot more than mere words to cure me of this empty feeling inside. A lot more, indeed. He shook me awake the next morning. I felt like I'd just closed my eyes. I was still numb, and my throat still burned from the screaming the night before. Stiffly, I arose and followed him out of the cabin. Within a few minutes, he served breakfast. I barely tasted it though whatever it was, thankfully it was easy on my throat. The only part of my mind that wasn't numb from last night's realization, the cynical part, was surprised that he'd been that considerate. How pathetic I must have looked in his eyes, blubbering and screaming like a kitten having a tantrum. I was convinced that this would be the end of my training once we got back to the city. That, of course, assumed he was going to take me back and not abandon me. Once we finished breakfast and put everything away, Krasa bid me to follow him. There was a path that led further up the mountain. Apparently, my next lesson was going to take place at its end. We didn't speak a word as we walked. I had nothing to say, and he was never one for words of encouragement or consolation. The pre-dawn sky was a dull gray, which matched my mood perfectly. I felt gray that morning. I had no feelings of joy or sadness. Instead, everything felt bland to me. The wild beauty I'd beheld only the day before stirred nothing within me that morning. Why would it? The day would be the way it would be. I could die today, and the world would go on. I wish my mood had been better at the time. It took us an hour to reach our destination, which was a small plateau just above the tree line and on the opposite side of the mountain from our cabin. From that vantage point, I looked out across the expanse of the Kerala mountain range. While the sun had yet to break over the horizon, the view was still nothing short of breathtaking, or it would have been were I not in such a self-deprecating funk. Snow and ice still capped the higher peaks. Despite my mood, I understood then why some thrill-seekers would climb these mountains as a challenge. If the reward was a view like this, it made sense. Krasa stood beside me, saying nothing. He merely stared out at the mountains like I did. After some time, I was about to ask why we were here when I saw the sky begin to change color. From that pre-dawn gray, the sky seemed to brighten into first a deep, fiery red, then an orange, and then finally a blazing yellow as the sun finally rose. The snow-capped peaks I could see now seemed to glow with inner light and the dull, dark grey of the rocks suddenly came alive as the sun's rays poured over everything. It was a sight unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It's beautiful, I whispered, mindful of my throat. I looked to him and he stared back, his muzzle holding a neutral gaze, but with a hint of a smile. How do you feel? he asked. I don't know, I said. I mean, I feel good, but I shouldn't, should I? After all that's happened, I should feel dead inside, but I don't. I turned away and stared out over the plateau again. The valley below was a play of light and shadow, as the persistently growing sunlight began forcing the mountain shadows to release their grip on the darkness. I felt the numbness in me begin to fade as well. I wanted to reach for it and wrap myself in it again, but it was no use. Like the shadows in the mountains, the shadows in my soul just faded away, leaving the still raw emotions of the night before. I don't get it, I said. Krasov half looked at me. I have brought a number of people here, he said softly. Always on the dawn of the day after the purging. Purging? Walking the path of the Lautari requires focus. He still spoke more to the mountains than to me. Those who've come before all had much the same ideas you had, Dallin. They wanted revenge, or they wanted power. They accepted my offer so they could rise above. But isn't that what you offered? I asked. When we met in my dwelling, you said that I would be the object of the clan's darkest dreams. I'd have the legacy of legend. I did. He turned a bit more to me. However, to attain such things, you must first realize the true goal. Your quest for family, despite our discussion last night, is still valid. The doubts you brought up clouded that goal, Dallin. You were originally focused on reuniting with your family, but you had misgivings. So I overthought it? No. Those misgivings would have crippled you later on. At this point, he turned to me fully. Dallin, walking the path of the beast will change you. The path will test you. There will be times when the beast will beg you to release it. Many surrender to this feeling and lose themselves in a maelstrom of pure instinct. It's a temptation, and one few can resist. His words shocked me, but the tone in which he spoke them shocked me even more. Up until that moment, Krasa had been stoic toward me. He never once rose his voice to me, and his range of emotion had been annoyingly flat. However, what he just said held a tone of urgency. There must be no doubt here, he touched my head. Because your head must rule your heart, he touched my chest. There will be a beast growing within you, Dallin, and you must keep your focus to control it. Someday, the man and the beast will be one, but until then, you must never waver. He then placed his hands on my shoulders and stared into my eyes. He wasn't that much taller than me, but at that moment I envisioned him as a titan. Do you understand now, Dallin? Do you know what the purging was for? To. To strip away the anchor, I said slowly. I hated my family for letting this happen. I hated my father for what he did. I. I hated the clans for still exiling people. And that hate would make me lose control. I had to confront it and. and acknowledge it. He smiled again, followed by a nod. Something stirred inside me when he did as if the last of my doubts finally melted away because of that moment of recognition. I finally felt accepted by him, and that I was worthy of the gift he was offering. It was exhilarating. We sat down and continued to watch the sun rise over the mountains. A slow, persistent warming soon replaced the chill of the morning. I leaned back and basked in it, feeling cleansed. It has been a while since I have been here. I heard him say, "'Have you had many students before me?' I asked. "'Not as many as you might think, young one,' he replied. "'Each one of them went through what you did.' He sighed, and I turned to look at him. Many of them could not come to full terms with the purging, and more than once I've seen them hurl themselves off this very cliff. I instinctively scrambled back from the edge. My stomach churned at the thought of someone else standing where I was, and then flinging themselves off this place only to land in a broken, bloody heap in the valley below. Low as I had been feeling when we first ascended to this plateau, such a thought never once entered my mind. Did you think I would do the same? I asked. I did for a moment, he said. But when the sun rose, I took it as a good omen. Perhaps the gods are telling you that this is your destiny. Why would the gods be interested in me? I asked. The patron said, The patrons are the gods of the clans, he interrupted. Mere icons manifested from a world gone mad with power and sin. He returned his gaze to the mountains. But the gods, Dallin. The true gods. They are for anyone willing to find them. But I wasn't looking, I said. Perhaps, Dallin they were looking for you. I shivered at that thought. It was midday when we arrived back at the cabin. We ate a light meal, and my training continued. At first, it was more theory and mechanics of forms, which gave the food a chance to settle before getting into something more intense. Reinvigorated as I was, it did little to improve my overall performance against my opponents. I still hit the ground more than my fair share of times but I refused to let it deter me. As before, I told myself that these setbacks were necessary and that I should learn from them. However, the goal I used to push myself onward was no longer a triumphant return to my family. Yes, I still wanted that at the end of it all, but to think so far ahead was to lose focus. Instead of that, my immediate goal was much less grandiose, All I wanted was to beat one more opponent than I had the last time. Instead of two out of ten, I wanted to get to three. From there, I would get to four, then five. Eventually, I would defeat all ten, and from there, well, I had no idea. I had to get to three first. Sadly, throughout the rest of the retreat, I never reached that next step. I came close on more than one occasion but that third opponent just refused to stand still long enough for me to land a hard enough blow. Still, I did my best to learn from each bout and took anything Krasa said to heart. That evening, we packed everything back into the skimmer and began our descent down the mountain. It was pitch black as we drove, but unlike the trip up, Krasa and I engaged in some conversation. He asked me about my job and how it was going, and I was happy to tell him. He seemed to take a genuine interest in it. It felt good to be able to talk to someone else about the work. Taki loved to hear about it, and admitted she longed for the day when she was well again, and she could meet me after a shift. Then maybe we could go for a walk on the beach together. Taki Her treatment would have ended on this day. In fact, while I was rebuilding my soul on that plateau, she was hopefully taking her last dose of the medicine. Based on how I'd left her, I knew I would be returning to an empty dwelling. I sighed quietly at this. I was still riding the emotional high from this morning's revelation, but the growing prospect of being alone once more was fast bringing me down. Still, it had been my own fault, and if my solitude was the price I had to pay for my procrastination, then so be it. I could regret it all the live-long day, but that would do nothing to help. I was going to miss her though. She was one of those few bright lights in an otherwise dark and dismal life. I would miss her presence most of all. She was what I looked forward to when I first woke in the morning and when I returned from work or training. After such a brief time to be so used to her being there, it had to be love. Too bad I had to go and ruin it the way I had. The first few signs of civilization loomed before us, and it wasn't too long before we were in one of the outlying communities of Kerala City. It was late enough that most everyone was safely tucked away in their beds, either alone or with someone. I started thinking about what kind of life Teki and I could have had if she'd stayed. Maybe once the pay started rolling in from the job at the docks, I could have gotten us something in the city, far away from the clan lands and the risk of being discovered. I would never know now, though. We are here, Krasa said. I blinked twice and looked out the skimmer window to see us parked by his studio. I trust you can make it to your dwelling on your own. I nodded. Good. You should be starting your swing shift this week. I nodded again. Very well. You will train before your shift begins. I will see you the day after tomorrow, Dallin. Rest and recover for now. I got out of the skimmer and grabbed my gear from the open trunk. The moment I closed the trunk, the skimmer sped off, leaving me alone. With a small sigh, I hefted my gear over my shoulder and set off in the direction of my dwelling. I could have summoned a transport, but I needed the physical exertion. I would be exhausted when I arrived, but that meant less time to think about what I'd lost in the pursuit of this gift of mine. And that's our story. I realize this episode is a day late, and I blame that both on some technical issues I had with the latest chapters recording, and an event in which I participated this past weekend. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and it's been interesting seeing what different organizations are doing in terms of raising funds or just raising awareness. I was involved in one of those events this past weekend helping out some friends in Second Life. I do a bit of DJing in that virtual world, and one of my friends who normally does a 36-hour radio stream during this month was unable to. He had his reasons. However, our group of friends all got together and decided to help out by staging an all-day event in his honor. Each of us played a music set, and any tips we received in the world were all collected to be cashed out and sent off to the Roswell Park Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. I'll grant you, the take wasn't massive, but every little bit helps, and the person we pinch hit for really appreciated it. That event didn't deter me from any writing, however. I have hit a bit of a wall in the plot, though, and I'm working on a few different approaches to fixing it. Part of me worries now that I might be trying to cram too much into this next book, so I'm going to have to take a hard look and see what needs to stay and what could possibly be moved into book three of this series. We'll have to see. Anyway, I think I'll end it here. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickity 5ca So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.